0: This season of Feminist Frequency Radio, we're bringing our feminist media criticism live to video. That's right. If you would like to see us as well as hear us talk about all things cyberpunk, you can do that at youtube.com slash feminist frequency. The audio quality on the videos are not quite as good as you get from our professionally edited podcast, but you do get to see our shining faces. So, you know, your call. We also have live video of all our bonus episodes with our special guests, which are only available to patrons. So get in on that fun at patreon.com femfreak. Now enjoy the show. Hey, y'all, you know, we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare, because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com femfreak. Also, fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak.
1: He just thought Pong was so cool and was like, what if you were in there? <laughs> the fact that this movie has so much plot, I'm like, that is the problem. Take it out.
0: Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love.
1: I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada. And this season, our feminist media criticism has been sucked into the mainframe of a computer. And Anita and I have been transformed into video game playing software programs ourselves. This is the season of Cyberpunk. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell.
0: The new millennium. This is amazing. We'll bring A new experience.
1: How do you fit all
2: that in your head anyway?
0: I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory.
2: This is going to be fun, Terry. Who is this? Take this thing out of the case and stick
0: it up your nose. Mozart's Ghost, the hottest band on the internet! This week, we are discussing Tron, a 1982 adventure film directed by Steven Lisberger and starring Jeff Bridges as a software engineer turned arcade owner who is corporeally transported into cyberspace by a power-hungry computer program. The plot really isn't crucial for understanding the film and its legacy as one of the earliest movies to use computer-generated animation and
1: groundbreaking technology. Although the film's lead creatives were relative industry newcomers, with the muscle of the Disney studio behind the movie, an all-star creative team was assembled behind the scenes. French comic book artist Jean Giraud, also known as Mobius, shared costume, set, and vehicle design duties with industrial designer Sid Mead, and electronic musician Wendy Carlos composed the score. In the words of Roger Ebert's original 1982 review the movie addresses itself without apology to the computer generation, embracing the imagery of those arcade video games that parents fear are rotting the minds of their children. If you've never played Pac-Man or Space Invaders or the Tron game itself, you probably are not quite ready to see this movie.
0: The computer, an extension of the human intellect. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I still do not understand why you want to break
1: into the system.
2: Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories
1: is the evidence. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love
0: and escape do not compute. Tron. (laughs) Roger Ebert hated video games, too. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Joining us to discuss this movie is an acclaimed author, public speaker, and travel writer, her Everywhereist blog ranges from stories about her travels to discussions of dessert, feminism, and media. Her book All Over the Place: Adventures in Travel, True Love, and Petty Theft is available at fine bookstores everywhere. Welcome to the show, Geraldine DeRoyter.
1: We thought about just explaining like the audio landscape to anyone listening or watching. Uh it's uh, 90 degrees, I think, where all of us are recording right now. Um, you know, the planet is on fire. We're in a drought. There's multiple plagues, um, like mul- like multiple plagues that I'm actively worried about, Kat, like getting involved with every day. Um, and just... Though this was recorded in the in the wake of the SCOTUS decision that we were anticipating um, back in June, so for those of you listening from either a utopia we finally managed to find ourselves creating in the next <laughs> two months, or um, an even worse uh, level of hell, um, or maybe we'll all get sucked into a video game, pew pew pew, like f- one yeah. fingertip bite by- at a time, just sucked in. <laughs> I'm ready.
0: That okay sorry
1: are we gonna (laughs) talk do we go straight to that
0: scene (laughs) i so yeah let's talk about the scene and then we'll back okay we'll we'll step back because i actually took a video of the scene where he is being like like digitally imprinted in from the laser that's in the like laser lab at this fucking tech company (laughs) i it was the best it is the best Thing I've ever seen like just that one moment makes this whole movie for me and he's just like leaning back with his hands and like cool. his crotch out and, like <laughs> his, his legs are splayed and he's just like I am being digitized. it's so good
2: so, so good so um at that moment that's when I started calling this movie the dot matrix uh-huh. um which I was <laughs> like I'm clever but yeah it uh Nostalgia does a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to Tron, I realized. Yeah. Because I remember thinking that this movie was cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, so this is a good point. Like, what is your history with this movie? Have you seen it before? So
2: I have, but I did not remember it. I think the last time I saw this movie, I was probably seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And like, to give you some background, this is one of my brother's favorite films. Like, he loves this movie so much that he named one of his children after Flynn so Whoa. yeah like it's not his first name it's his middle name but still like when I saw that I was like oh you named your kid after Tron Jeff Bridges like,
1: Flynn de Reuter. yeah
2: I mean pretty pretty <laughs> much um, so it and and like my brother has the t-shirt he's got the Flynn's arcade t-shirt like his uh his facebook profile picture was the picture of jeff bridges like playing the video game so this is a very big deal uh jeff bridges is one of my mother's favorite actors like in terms of my so,
0: so your your dislike of this movie is going to be blasphemy
2: i mean here's the thing okay so i told him like he saw my i was tweeting yesterday as i was watching it and he tweet uh, he texted me and he's like you're watching Tron without
1: me. Oh.
2: And then he's well, like, buddy. he's like, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. And then I got a wall of text Incredible. about his feelings on Tron. So I um, love it for what it meant mm-hmm. to us at the time which was I remember being like this is the coolest looking movie I've ever seen so I think I'm a little bit older than you so I was born in 80 I'm about to be 42 um and I remember watching this being like this is amazing it's so beautiful and what I had forgotten is how slow this movie is and how the plot is you're like what's ha- this doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah. there's no backstory yeah. here and like i'm bored as a 41 year old
1: yeah oh my god Kat, have you seen the movie before Ah, uh, um i was on the tron people mover at disneyland a lot as a child and so maybe sure. that's what i thought like if I-, I have no idea if i've seen this movie as a child that ride feels like very ubiquitous The movie could have been on at some point, possibly, Um, but I'm pretty sure I hadn't seen it. And if we were to take um, Geraldine's brother's wall of texts and if I had transcribed my 42-year-old partner's Explanation of this movie's accomplishments after we watched it. Um, that could be a whole bonus episode. Men Men Mansplain Tron. Uh, <laughs> Mansplaining Tron. That's just a whole podcast. Um, but I will like uh it was interesting to watch it and realize like I have no idea what's happening. I don't care. <laughs> um but Sorry. like I can tell that something cool is going on. And also, like, this was part of, like, the research I did when I was bored while I was watching the movie, was, like, I actually thought it looked really good. I thought the visuals were so cool. Now, I was watching this on Disney+, and this is, like, a remastered version. For a lot of years, people were renting a terrible-looking VHS or Laserdisc or whatever of this movie. Um, So I think... The fact that it still looks cool to me, I I think is super impressive, considering that this is like 1982, and it's a blend of so many different styles of film, like filmmaking and animation and effects. Um, I was like, oh, I get it. I couldn't tell if this was for children or adults, which is a question I often have. But um, but Anita, what about you? Is this like you watch it every Saturday night or? I'm
0: I'm nodding my head aggressively at the who is the audience because I, I think I texted a friend in the middle of being like, who does this movie for? Like, I don't it's not quite for kids. Like, I think it's for teens is where I landed on that. Teens who go to um, the
1: arcade. Yeah. 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 Um, what if there, I was in there?
0: I read a review about um, how this movie wasn't super like it didn't do great. Like it wasn't bad, but it didn't really do great. Um and I believe Blade Runner was also in that category of didn't do bad, but wasn't great financially box office numbers. And was but the same year. Got, yeah. But got like cult classic status like later on. And um, I, I feel like it was, oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. Anyways, whatever, whatever I feel like it was, um, I watched this movie for the first time as an adult Mm -hmm. uh, like but a long time ago and remember being like really like oh that's cool like this was a cool movie like I enjoyed it Um, Tron Legacy which we will not speak of after (laughs) this point uh, is a terrible fucking movie and it's super bad uh, with quite a good soundtrack actually Um, it's daft punk right I've heard that
2: if you regard the entire movie as a daft punk video it's okay oh
0: it's so bad is it? um (laughs) It's the movie is so bad. Um, But I went into rewatching this being like, I have memories of liking this movie. And so I would like, it started and I was like, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Now we're at the arcade. Okay. Yeah. And then like, at some point I kind of didn't realize how much I stopped paying attention to the movie. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I was like, oh wait, we're still in the matrix. Like what is yeah. happening? Like, I don't really remember how it ended. Like I just completely lost me at some point. Um, but to begin this conversation, I would like to say that I think I am in love with Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. OK, I've never really had an opinion. I'm not actually I don't I'm not i not i am not attracted to him as an actor in that way that I am with like Oscar Isaac, who I'm like, you're fucking amazing. And I love you. Um, Jeff Bridges, though, like I watched this. I started watching The Old Man, which is the new Ooh. show that he's in. And then we watched The Big Lebowski um, for the podcast, which is not a movie that I generally like. And then also over the last like year, I watched Two Grits. So I just feel like I've had a lot of Jeff Bridges like come in at me and he's really good. Yeah. Like he's a really charismatic, good actor. And like, I find myself even while hating his characters and thinking he's just playing a dick all the time, like being sucked into that and like wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt and wanting to like because he's just so mesmerizing on, on on camera and like cinematically and so I just I just want to give Jeff Bridges his due I guess on our on our feminist podcast <laughs> oh I mean he is
2: he's wildly charming right and like early 80s Jeff Bridges is kind of peak Jeff Bridges um, but there was this moment where I was watching it and like the opening scenes of this movie feel like Star Wars, which I think was intentional. They were trying mm-hmm. to, they were definitely trying to piggyback on the success of that, which wasn't too much earlier. But, um, in the, like in the early eighties, like when I was a kid, it was virtually impossible for me to tell the difference between Harrison Ford, Thank Jeff you. Bridges <laughs> and Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah. I thought this it's, was Kurt Russell half of the it, time I was watching it.
2: It was wildly difficult,
0: right? And it's yeah. still like I still have trouble. I'm like, which which one was right? It was it okay. Was that actually, guy. I the Kurt Russell and Jeff Bridges totally matches for me. I'm just like, oh yeah, they have the same the exact same swagger, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the Harrison Ford doesn't quite match with me. I feel like Harrison Ford is a little grittier and like a little like rougher, but maybe I'm just thinking of The Fugitive. We I think you
2: need to, like if it. you think of the um, Han Solo... Yeah. Uh, I almost said Han Solo, Jeff Bridges. Hi. You think of Han <laughs> Han does, Solo they're all the same. It doesn't matter. And actually, I can feel, do you feel that rumbling? That is just... That is a bunch of men coming out oh of the woodwork. And they're
1: like, but <laughs> no, that's not how it is. And they're getting like zapped. Like
2: They're, getting, they're so mad at me right now. But um, I think that like the Han Solo era, Harrison Ford, like there was a moment where Jeff Bridges was doing something in Tron. And I was like, oh man, it's so weird that he did this role right after he played Han.
1: <laughs> and I was like, None of that's right. <laughs> and the same year he was in Blade Runner. So busy. Like, uh, But I have the same face blindness for, like, a certain level of, like, white man actor that's just, like, been around my whole life. Uh, I notoriously had an entire conversation with Michael Keaton thinking that it was kevin costner um they demonstrably
2: they demonstrably look alike like to be fair right like i think michael keaton and kevin costner and then the trifecta that we've just described yeah they do look alike and almost all of them have been considered like kurt russell was considered
0: and almost got cast as han solo right like, they've all been... It kind of makes sense, right? If you think about old Hollywood and the aesthetic of, like, those male actors, they all kind of look the same, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it's 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 just a different generation of the same kind of
1: casting over and over right. again. Right. Paul Newman um, and Marlon Brando have, like, mostly the same face. But, um, <laughs> like, I... Especially with the visual of this movie and how it was filmed on these, like, black backgrounds... I also couldn't tell Flynn apart from Bruce Boxleitner because yeah. they were just two dudes, and then there was a lady and a beard. So I was like, "Okay, beard is different, lady is different. <laughs> These two guys are the same character." Like, <laughs> but so they that also was...
2: look—they also look a lot alike. Like, yeah, yeah. just kind
1: of like cleanly, strong, <laughs> handsome. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I think also like we need to address this since we're talking about interchangeable white guys. <laughs> My husband like walked in and he's like, there's a lot of white dudes in this movie. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much exclusively that except for like the one white woman who it took me like an hour into it before I'm like, I think her name's Yori and I don't know what her human name is because that doesn't matter.
0: And as like the human version of her is a just like a love interest for both of the character like conflict I, between the characters yeah it's not this movie is not great for So it's the uh program version of her
1: yeah though. well yeah and she's a nurturer in the program yeah. she gets to also be like maternal
0: yeah there's um, oh,
1: what a treat
2: yeah there also one of the things my brother sent me was a youtube clip of a cut scene which was a like kind of racy love scene between yori and tron and i was like i can understand why this was cut because this is very weird. She turns into like this butterfly seductress. And then her the the skull cap that she wears disappears and she has like uh, she's got the curled bangs and her hair is up and she looks a little bit like Olivia Newton John. And oh. I'm like, this is wow. this this is a tonal shift. <laughs> and I, <laughs> wow. I'm not sure why that needed to happen. So
0: So okay, the world of Tron is from a company called N-com, which I kept thinking looked like Enron, but whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, And they make defense systems and video games. Yeah. <laughs> so it is like the, like, okay, 1982, this movie comes out. Uh, It is like Pac-Man and Atari video game yeah. time, right? Like it's really, you know, you've got arcades and stuff, but they're not sophisticated games. So like, this is really early. This might be one of the, like, the first f- movies to take on, video games in this way and tech in this way. Right. And so I feel like they're like whatever it doesn't matter a tech company just does all the things. Right. And so we can make weapons defense systems and also video games and whatever the sections the groups that we will divide the groups by different numbers and they will all take on different facets of technological development and I was like okay whatever like I'll accept it but it just goofy as fuck. And also like it's so early in like the tech world that like the language is so funny like they have a laser bay in this fucking company one and two i lost my shit what like appropriating (laughs) systems cut out like cut out of the system group six access identity discs d resolution um master control as and i think this is a big like theme that we can get into but as like the all-controlling AI that, like,
1: is out of control and that will
0: take over and, like, the fear, the, like,
1: techno fear around that. And that's such, like, a a Kubrick wink and a nod, you know. Lucky thing, though, that that laser happened to be pointing at the computer.
0: I know. I I thought that was
2: a really, so I think that was really irresponsible placement of Mm -hmm. that laser. I'm just going to say that's bad laser protocol. (laughs) Um, But I also think it's funny that, I mean, should, can we get into the terrible plot of this? Yes. Movie? Yeah. So we'll
1: save the OSHA violations of Encom for yeah. later.
2: <laughs> so first of all, I, I think to your point, like this is this is before a time where people could say, like, wait a minute, that's not how programming works at all. But there were there were distinct moments where I was like, well, that just that just makes bad sense, right? So you've got Dillinger, who's rise to the top of this meteoric, like meteoric rise to the top of this company has been that he has stolen mm. uh, the video games that Flynn has developed.
1: Space Paranoids. Space and Paranoids.
2: Um, which I also read the, the 1982 review uh, by Roger Ebert which is delightful. I <laughs> highly recommend you look it up. But one of the things he talks about is that Space Paranoids is such a great name, I think. I read a few reviews. <laughs> but that's how he gets to the top of this company but he's the one who built master control and i'm like mm. you have built this highly sophisticated artificial mm. intelligence so you are clearly a good programmer in your own right and so that dis- like that kind of like there's no reason for you to need to steal video games from the new kid <laughs> to get you to the top of the laser weapons company. Very confusing. Brain broken now. Really <laughs> can't say more.
0: Yeah. And I'm willing to accept this premise. Like, I will <laughs> just, you know, turn it off and go for it. It's okay. fine. Because then we get Jeff Bridges owning Flynn's, which is, like, the coolest looking arcade. Yes. Um, <laughs> With, like, the dopiest back room. I just, the whole, the whole vibe at the beginning, I'm like, I'm so here for this. But, like, why I, – I don't think I quite connected the whole, like, religious, like, anti-religious subtext and then the, like, the users right. versus the programs. Yeah. And how, like – I love that one of the programs is an actuary program. And you're yeah. Like, what the fuck? But, like, the the, like, do you believe in users so you're a part of this religion that needs to be, like, you know, removed or whatever? And, like, yeah. master control – wants to rid everyone, all the programs that believe that users created them. Like that, what is that
1: about? Yeah, there was something like Battlestar Galactica about it, which was like, this is almost an interesting philosophical question about like, could artificial intelligence be aware of its own existence and not aware of its creation? And like, what does that mean for whether or not AI is human? Like, I think that is something that sci-fi has gotten into um but the way it's presented here is like that actuary who's like i'm just an actuary i don't know what to do like and then uh, there's no there doesn't seem to be a real like stakes for any of this i mean maybe that's part of me being like other than jeff bridges like if these games like D-Rez, is that a problem? <laughs> is, is there I something think, wrong with that? I think well, the rule is
0: like if he dies within the system, he dies, right? Like yeah, we established. But if the programs die, what? So they, so yeah. theoretically, they have these tournaments. They steal programs from other groups inside of the NCOM, and then they like pit them into the video game, and then they die because they've been causing problems. So they get like shifted within these systems, right? My question is, like, how many, uh, like, programs are being developed at any given time that they can just, like, go through them, like, water? Um, and then also, like, why? Why? Like, is it so that the master AI can control everything and that these programs are in the way of it controlling everything and taking over? So I think that the idea is I'm giving them a lot of space here. <laughs> I think that the idea is that the
2: master AI is consuming everything and then becoming stronger because there's a mention of like, it's going to tap into and break into the Pentagon. It's going to break into the Kremlin. So it's going to have all of that information. So it just consumes these programs and becomes smarter and stronger. And it becomes this all knowing kind of behemoth AI monster. And I think we, like, I think there are What's interesting is that you see a lot of ideas that are foundational to yeah. hundreds of movies that we've seen since, right? The idea of this, like, uh, you know, the religious component of are you a believer and are you not, like, made its presence known in in The Matrix. And there's a lot of overlaps there. And I think, like, they've, the creators of of The Matrix have said that they were inspired by... Tron, like, repeatedly. Um, And then there's the idea that there's one user within the system who is more capable than anyone else within that system, which, like, you see the parallels between Neo and Flynn. And then, like, I don't know, I was watching this, though, and i just seen, I've just watched Free Guy, Mm. which is, like, ridiculous and fun and a throwaway movie. Like, I didn't think it was you know it's not a it's not a movie i will rewatch, but i'm like wow like this is essentially the premise of tron right like you have this video game world where someone's game has been stolen and they are going back in to try and find proof of that um but there was an established plot there that we could follow mm-hmm. and what i think this was was it's so early on that they're just like there's this idea and this idea and this idea. And then they kind of just got lost and didn't pursue any of it. And they're like, it's cool. It's very pretty. And that's going to do all the heavy lifting yeah. from here on out.
1: You know, and something I've, I don't think I believed at the beginning of like when I started thinking critically about media, but. I'll allow a little space for now is, like, I think it's okay for there to be some movies that are strictly aesthetically, like, satisfactory. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to – if that's the only type of movie we get, then I'm mad about it. But if somebody's like, I – I don't know. I want to make Avatar. <laughs> like, who cares about the, like, is this bestiality? There's a thing called unobtainium. Who cares? But, like, look at this CGI. Like, there's something about that where I'm like, as long as you don't expect me to care, um, then that's fine. But what I feel like we find with a lot of these 80s and 90s trying to understand tech and our lives, movies, within the Hollywood, like, studio system that's so entrenched, is... That you either have, like, people who have something to say, but they don't know how to talk about technology when they're saying, when they're trying to tell their story, or people who don't have a perspective, but they want to show you something very cool. And, like, this is very firmly in that latter camp. Like, Mm -hmm. this guy, Steven Lisberger, who, he started an animation studio basically as he was trying to get this movie made and was inspired by the the game pong he just thought pong was so cool and was like what if you were in there and like that's the fact that this movie has so much plot i'm like that is the problem take it out (laughs) like just don't make us think about all of this like give me what if you could play hyalai in a (laughs) virtual reality like or whatever like that It could just be that, but it gets so muddied by weighed down by its plot that like it reduces my ability to enjoy the movie. And I wish like that we could just be like in this world and it's cool looking and that's all it has to be like the MacGuffin is, I don't know, you're going to win. You're going to win the tournament. That's it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a good kind of segue into the graphics and what this looks like. Right. Like, I think this is such a fascinating looking film with, you know, this is way before like any kind of sophisticated CGI um, and they were doing a lot. Yeah. Right. Like doing a, like the whole, almost the majority of the movie takes place in this digital world where their faces are like superimposed. Well, I mean, it's not, I don't even actually know. I don't know if in your research, when you're looking it up, like it talked about how they made it, but like how kind of advanced it was. And like, I think, if it looked any better, it would be harder for us to have the nostalgia that we have about it today, right? Like, there's something about being like, that's kind of cool that you were doing this, like, this stuff before we had really sophisticated CGI. Like, I, I was drawn to the, the badness of it. Yeah. I, I have to say, I didn't think it looked bad.
2: Um, like, I thought it looked like what, what the future looked like in 1982. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: Like, Yeah. I mean, just like when I tried to read the plot summary and got lost, even after watching the movie and reading the plot summary, I was confused. I also like, there was so much granular detail about the production of this movie, but some of the things I took away from it were like, there's some stuff like they were supposed to have hair. They weren't supposed to be wearing those helmets, but it wasn't working with the animation. So they gave them helmets. Um, I mentioned uh, Mobius and Sid Mead, whose visual style you can see in Alien, the Fifth Element, the Abyss*, Jodorowsky's Dune, Blade Runner, like this whole aesthetic of that time. Um, So there were only a few minutes of the movie were fully computer generated. They were operating systems that had so little amount of processing power that it just took forever to create those like scenes where the little like ships are kind of chasing them through the canyon and all of that. And a lot of it was a combination of traditional animation, um, like cell animation, or this thing that I looked up and it was like kind of hot for five minutes in the 80s, which was backlit animation, where they would actually just shine a light through an animation cell to show something glowing. But a lot of that, those practical scenes, like those sets and costumes and everything where they were physically in the world they were they just had reflective panels on their clothing and everything else was black so they were just trying to like create it and then paint in the colors after the fact so it really was like having a high concept and then trying to figure out how to do it while you're doing it so there are some things like initially i think it was supposed to be a very white uh digital landscape but it wouldn't reflect correctly when they were trying to film it so that's why everything is sort of a black background and whenever they were finding that something wasn't showing up correctly while filming it they'd be like just paint it black just paint it black we'll fix it later or we'll figure it out (laughs) wow um what a chaotic production so chaotic and you can see like how the reflection kind of glows on their skin because they're they're actually practically doing that like it's something that now you see the avengers and they're just wearing completely like cg replacement body stockings that they're going to put those suits in later and they're able to light and composite it so well that it's seamless um but i think that yeah like those scenes with people are kind of weird looking like they look cool But then, like, where I see, like, this is a fun movie for kids. This is what was fun about the Disney ride is, like, the motorcycle snake game and the Frisbees and all of that stuff where you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe that they could do this in
2: 1982. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that it's such a dark, like, it's a, not in terms of mood, but visually, it is such a dark film. Like... If you're watching this, it is actually hard to make out what is going Mm -hmm. on. Like, there is no, I mean, there's no gradient. It is literally a film that is in shades of like black, gray, and that sort of bluish green. And it doesn't take you out of it. And that's something that surprised me. When I was remembering this film, I remembered it being a back and forth. I thought that like, Flynn had gone in and out of the system numerous times. Mm. And then he got trapped there. That, you know, was just my brain writing a better script
0: than what it was. And it's. I I also thought that I remembered them like going in and out out. of the game visually. And like, I was like, oh, this is all just in the system.
2: Right. (laughs) Forever. It's It's never ending. (laughs) For a long time, for like, I think it's like an hour. It's essentially an hour of just solidly being in
0: there. And that's, I mean- And now- drinking the river of power. Oh, that was that, one of my favorite scene. So that
2: <laughs> scene I remembered really well because I was like, it was one of my favorite scenes when I was a kid because it was like a peaceful scene where I knew they were safe <laughs> because I guess, I guess four-year-old me was very nervous about their well-being in this movie. So yeah, it was not a kid's film. It's a lot of but- peril,
1: a lot of like- yeah. Hanging off of something, or.
2: But at the same time, you never get the sense of like actual danger. There's never that, that true sense of danger because there's never the true sense of like end point. There's never an explanation of, okay, I am here. I have this goal. Like, we know what his goal is, which is to retrieve the information that will prove that Dillinger stole. The games from him, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what he's looking for. But somehow, like, that mission, like, everything kind of gets halfway developed. He even gets, like, a little bit sidekick for a little bit. I was like, that's cute, where it's like, yes. No. And he's like, you, oh, just just ones and zero. You're just a bit. I was like, well, that's charming. Let's see where that goes. That was on screen for like 15 seconds and then it's done. I'm like, well, like that's going nowhere. But yeah, I thought that it would take you in and out of the world. And I think I wanted that contrast between like the circuitry and the programming world and inside the computer. And where we live and exist, because I think that contrast would have, I don't know, done a lot for the
0: storytelling. And yeah, there was none of that. I've been trying to, um, like, as as we go through this cyberpunk season, I keep thinking about, like, this aesthetic of cyberpunk that we're talking about is very 80s and 90s. Um, and it's like a very, like, almost simplistic techno fear that is coming out of this, the energy of a lot of these movies we're watching. And I keep being like, well, we don't really do that anymore. I was like, that's not true. We do. We still have a lot of like fears of technology. I think that they look a little bit different because we are in it now and we don't want to accept that the things that we do are actually unsafe mm-hmm. and the things in the ways that we engage are actually unsafe. So it doesn't hit the same tone because like now you are the victim if you buy into this, you are the victim of it as opposed to, no, I don't have the internet or like I barely do anything online. I can't, you know, have my identity stolen from me or what have you. Um, I think that the AI fear is the fear that like is still so prevalent in our films because we don't really have a, we don't have like conscious AI right in the same, like we have AI now, but we don't have like that conscious like Terminator taking over the world cyberdyne kind of energy. Um, So I think we still do that storytelling and that's a big part of this movie of like, and probably, I don't, I have no idea, but I'm guessing it's a very early version of a, like of this AI fear of like, you build a code that becomes living and takes up everything and will eventually take over the world. Um, And that, like, I think we are working on that, Mm. (laughs) like actively as a society, people are working on that. Uh, And what does that mean? Right and we make jokes about it because we watched all these movies, but I think that fear is even more um, present with us today. And like, what does that look like in filmmaking about technology? Do we like, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. That's- no, sorry. Go ahead, Kat. I didn't mean to talk over you. No,
1: no. It, it, it's so interesting. Cause I, I think that's where like you, I don't, I either want the movie to go there or not go there, I guess. Like, um, what we have today is this passive AI, but we also don't have the opportunity to opt out of like tech life in the way that people did in the 80s and 90s when it was like, well, be careful what you put on the Internet. Now it's like, look, you're on the Internet. So what more do you like? You've done it. Um, but the what's interesting is that our characters here, like the human characters whose counterparts we see in the game are developers like even i I don't know glort and i I don't know what their names are (laughs) well tron tron is the guy and then tron is adam i hate that
2: i know this (laughs) and then yori is laura and then flynn is flynn Flynn. he doesn't change his name
1: but it's like these are so that That says something about, like, the user is also the creator or is, like, this is their digital fingerprint of Mm. the person. But who we are seeing are developers or people who work for NCOM. I don't know if we're, like, are we seeing the average person have a counterpart, a digital counterpart that's in Mm. the game? Even that actuarial system is, like, one of NCOM's people
0: yeah and it's it's a programmer who programmed an actuary program, not an actuarian right 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 mm. it, so so what you're saying is that it is not representative
1: of <laughs> of real people. you would like more representation in Tron yeah, I would like more representation in Tron is it actual it's definitely accurate, but it's <laughs> like. There is something about this where I'm like, what does this say? What is this saying to me, though, as a viewer? Like, what is this saying to somebody who goes and plays an arcade game? If you're not actually a developer, is this? Does this have anything to do with you? There's like one guy who says something about like he's talking about the separation between his like work and life, where he doesn't even balance his checkbook at the office. He goes home and uses his abacus to do that. Like, right? But he's still like a tech guy. I mean he's at he
2: that's the that's Adam. That's the guy who creates Tron, right? And I think he's trying to say how dedicated he uh-huh, is. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: This is part of my face blindness of everyone in this movie. Every new no <laughs> one the same character I mean, shows up. And I'm like, Oh i guy. <laughs> it's funny.
0: It was very hard to tell them apart, especially in the the effects and stuff
2: yeah in the in the lighting because again like i have trouble seeing i have terrible dark vision so i was squinting through a lot of this um it's funny too because my when you mentioned that like and I'm sorry I'm sure people who are listening to this are like who is this massive dork with like her weird references but like I I was watching this and I kept thinking about Wreck-It Ralph yeah and like the role that you know those in that video game world those characters are fully realized and have you know, a a sentient kind of awareness and they exist and sort of have autonomy, but then have to play this role within the video game system. And so the user is completely separate, but then in this, we're seeing their avatars within the game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of a, I I think, and I think when it comes down to that, if we try and, and like, question it it was people didn't really understand how programming worked and like
0: well and also how do you make how do you make programming cinematic right that's a theme mm. that runs through all of these films of like how do you make computer things cinematic because they're fucking boring to yeah look at, right um I, so this is probably a dumb question but if the characters if the programs are the characters. Playing the games what is on the arcade machines are those like do you see that what like are you just in the game with it is it like multiplayer with programs (laughs) like I don't I mean this is an extra level of of, uh, reasoning that I don't think we should broach but it just occurred to me that I'm like what is it a different branch uh, separated from the main games is it its own, like, um... I feel like
1: the arcade game... Lobby? Does it have its own lobby? I mean, they had lobbies for these people to sit in. I think the arcade game is a little bit of a red herring, like the whole arcade, because yeah. what makes Flynn good at beating Master Commander or whatever is <laughs> that he's that he built Space Paranoid, so he's like, I know how these games work, but, uh, but they're not playing Space... Face paranoids. Right,
2: which I really thought that was going to come up. Right.
1: But he also made didn't he make
0: some of those games though? He, made he said five. he made a ton of them. He made yeah. five that were stolen. Right, which I thought were the games that they were playing. That would track.
1: That,
2: <sighs> yeah, that would it, make it, sense. But again, there was never it wasn't it was like certain things were over explained and then other things were completely under explained. And I feel like if I if I just had like an hour and a pen. <laughs> and honestly, I hate to say this, but my brother, <laughs> I feel like I could have made this script a lot better. Yeah. I yeah. Think, I think that there needed to be a a cohesiveness and kind of a cleverness. Like there's, there's a way that you beat, there's a secret way that you beat space paranoids. And it shows Flynn at the beginning of the game, right? At the beginning of the movie, beating the game. And people are like, how did you do that? And that's how he gets the high score. And then he uses that trick to defeat the master command. Master command. I've master forgotten.
0: control. Yeah, master control so in the game. In the fun fact, system. about game developers is they're not the best at their games. Hmm. They know how to program math. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, right. So, like, like a friend of mine made threes, and he like he's not the reigning champion of his own game. Like people have been able to get way more advanced in that. So I've just heard from from developers a lot of like, they can program a game, but it doesn't mean that they're like good at their game. So that, that would make sense and it would work for a movie, but just like back to reality a little yeah. bit. I think that there's like a difference between like the obsessive player that like masters the system or finds all the holes in it. Right. Which is the like games done quick is like such a beautiful example of people figuring out how to get around the game systems that already, that have been coded to figure out how to like make a game, run a game really, really fast or stuff like that. So, um, if you love Tron, I'm sorry, and I still, I'm okay with that. It's okay that you love this movie. Uh, I feel like it did not hold up for any of us,
2: I, unfortunately. It, I will say, at the risk of, because I know my brother is probably listening, and he's like, you are a jerk. Um, it does <laughs> It does hold a special place in my heart still, all these years. I
0: think it all, it's just one of those movies that, like, I'm, I will, no, that's not true, now that I've rewatched it, and I'm just like... I liked the first like thirty minutes of it. You know, I I, just, I liked it up until the zapping. Also, why does Flynn pretend like he like immediately knows to hide the fact that he's not a program? He's very like, and then he has to do this big reveal with, and what you're has like, happened. wait, like it's like some spy shit that you're like, <laughs> do you understand? I don't know, man. Okay, so, whatever.
2: There, you know, there were a lot of threads that were dropped, and while I was. While I was texting with my brother, who then watched it with his 10-year-old, I'm like, well, that's, that kid's going to fall asleep in 10 minutes. There were two things that I wanted to see picked up, which he mentioned. He was like, there was an orange that was zapped into the computer.
1: Oh, yeah. You remember that in the test? It became the <laughs> and, annoying orange.
2: Like, it was never, it never showed up again. <laughs> and it was, it would have been fun, like, to see the orange's adventures in the Tron landscape just like that'll be the web series that would have been great but the thing that he said is you know it's this it's this thing about capitalism and it's this commentary on capitalism and about creativity kind of triumphing over capitalism um and yet at the end you see Flynn coming in on this helicopter and he's you know the head of the company now when he used to run this awesome arcade and probably played video games all the time and got really high and yeah. had a great time and it is his life better now. And I was like, oh I need to I need to lie down and think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah that's a good point. Cause like I love that a lot of these narratives are like the scrappy young technophile that is like taking down the man. And that's, you know,
1: that undercuts this for sure. Or maybe now he's, that he's back in the real world, life just isn't as sweet as it was when he was in the game. Because I wasn't not loving the sexual and romantic tension between Flan. Flan?
2: You can call him that. <laughs> We're
1: cool with that. Flan that. and Trin. That's their couple name. But uh, oh, love it. they had really good chemistry. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. you know, maybe this is where he can really be himself
2: yeah no there was a moment there where like tron like hoists him up yeah and i was like now this is the movie i want to watch
1: i'll be searching
0: ao3 for that those yeah it's like send us your your slash fanfic of (laughs) tron and flynn please thank you very much all right y'all we will
1: be right back to share some freakouts If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show, so Just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show.
0: Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Kat, what do you got feelings about?
1: I have a lot of... Feelings about my freak out which is the music video and song what i want by the band Muna. i've heard i feel like cooler people than me talk about this band on the internet and i've never been aware if i was ever hearing this band or not but they just did a song that's about like what i want is to go dance at a gay bar. What I want is to take a pill that someone at the bar has got on their tongue. What I want is to sing and kiss and dance and have fun. And I am both was so drawn in to this song and video, but also felt like it was a completely foreign concept to me to have fun. Like it just, there's so much about life that I was like, I will never do that ever again. Like, I'm an extremely COVID um, cautious person, um, because I have some health issues and whatever, you don't have to explain. But um, I, like, I sometimes ask myself, like, will I ever do karaoke again? Will I ever go dancing ever again? Like, so watching this song, like, I'm freaking out about it in a very complicated way, because it's a Awesome Bop. The video is so beautiful and fun. And there's hot, queer people of all different types, and there's armpit hair. And it's like, this is these are the people I want to go out with. I want to go dancing with. But also just feeling like, what must that feel like to think that you might ever be carefree ever again? Because I sure don't. Um, and like I've tried to explore this in writing a little bit over the recent months of um just going to live music or going back to the movie theaters, like things where it's such a fraught experience to try to enjoy things that I enjoyed before. Um, And so watching this music video just kind of really brought it to me. I was like, God, it is nice to think about, but it's hard to think about um, that kind of experience. And people are having those experiences all the time. And there are people who aren't worrying about it the way I am. And I'm so happy for them. Kind of. (laughs) But um, that's what I'm freaking out about. Like, it's a, it's a qualified freak out. I love this song. The music video is great. But, like, if I watched it in the wrong mood, I'd probably cry for a long time.
0: I feel like uh, this happens to me every now and again watching TV and movies where I'm just like, look at them. Just yeah, making out with strangers and being in bars and just, like, sharing cigarettes and, like, all these things that I'm like, oh, if you, you, it's a choice to do that now. You yeah. know, like it's a, it's a very conscious choice. It's just, yeah, I hear you. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, my, um, my husband's having a birthday coming up and we were going to just have a few people in the backyard. Um, And a friend of mine was like, oh, well, can we, can we bring someone? And I'm having this issue of being like, no, like we're keeping this very small and i no like you you cannot bring someone i'm sorry like i don't know who the person you want to bring is i don't know what their safety protocols are yeah. uh it's hard
0: yeah it's hard well, speaking of hard, I don't know. That wasn't a good transition. <laughs> Geraldine, what are you freaking out about? I is actually, hard?
2: That's a perfect <laughs> transition. Um, I just finished watching, I mean, the world is a terrible place uh, and I just finished watching the first season of Our Flag Means Death. Um, and I loved it. It, uh, yeah, it was delightful. It made me happy. It was um, a little bit, a little bit gross in parts in terms of gore. I have a very low gore mm. blood grossness threshold. So there's like a, a tiny little bit of like fingers getting cut off and, and, and stuff like that, that I, I did not handle too well. Um, but for the most part, I I found it really beautiful and enjoyed it. And there were some wonderful, um, yeah, positive uh queer relationships that are portrayed uh there is a non-binary actor who is cast in one of the lead roles and they are fantastic um and everyone seamlessly uses they them pronouns for them and it's fantastic i loved it watch it if you haven't seen it yeah
0: I also really liked the show. Although I have to say like I watched the first couple episodes and was like this is not for me. Like yeah. I don't like this kind of humor. Like this isn't my style. Like there's just a particular brand of humor that I'm is is not for me. And I think I was just in a place where I'm like, "Meh." I got nothing else to watch, so I'll just keep going." And I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Uh, because it 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 has a turning point that I think actually locks in what the show is about. Like it's mm-hmm. not necessarily about this blundering love mm-hmm. you know yeah royal guy who's trying to be a pirate like it actually transforms into like challenging notions of masculinity and yeah. like friendship and care and like you know thoughtfulness around leadership and stuff like that in a way that i was like oh okay yeah. cool and like it it, it got me eventually
1: yeah. i was i got really into it too i've got to pick it back up again i i think i kind of haven't quite gotten to that part of it yet and so everyone's been raving about it and i have been really slow going with it um but i love the cast and i you know i think reese darby is actually like even in the episodes where i was like not super into it i loved him and claudio doherty as like that complicated uh relationship so why that's my homework for tonight (laughs) anita what about you um I have a very, like, I have nothing
0: else to talk about. Freak out. Uh, I watched Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, and that is a movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that nobody gives a shit about <laughs> anymore. Um, it was directed by Sam Raimi. And I, like, I it got, this movie got a lot of shit. Um, and I get why. I, my take on it was, I like, I don't, Really care- like I'm not invested in the MCU. I clearly didn't go to the theaters to see this. Um, I thought that there were some really wonderful like set pieces, mm. like just the visualness of it. I really liked a lot. Um, it was like colorful and weird and kind of all over the place. Um, there is like a, a a like wizard battle with with music.
1: Like I I was like this is fucking dope for anyone who hasn't seen it with tangible music notes and class yeah and not just like to music it is really c- and, and
0: to music but uh, like but it's also yes like like you're saying like it was and it was this like cool piece of like i don't know i guess not environmental but sort of environmental storytelling to show that like this version of dr strange like likes music and so they're using the elements in the space or is musical or whatever um, it's also kind of a horror movie in some ways too, which I think is really interesting. Um, and, um, America Chavez is like a character that's introduced in this movie and played by so Xochiel Gomez. And I thought she was wonderful and really like a lovely character. I hate that her name is America because then they'd keep being like, well, I got to tell America or I got to save America or whatever. They didn't say that, but like they kept saying things and just using America. And I was like, Okay, y'all, you understand the implication here of, like, this language. It was really troubling to me. Now, so it was fine. Like, it was, like, an enjoyable, fine, big blockbuster whatever. Now, here's my actual, like, why I roll my eyes and think that this movie isn't very good is the central conceit of it is that Wanda, who, if you watched WandaVision, which I did not like, um, she's, like, the main antagonist and the main villain in this, and she just, like... I'm a mother and I have to be with my kids and all mommy power. And I'm just like, Oh my God, really? Like the whole movie is predicated on this out of control mom. Uh, And I don't like that trope. And I think it was sloppy and stupid. And as the, like the main conceit for this movie, I found very frustrating. That's my freak out.
1: I loved how Sam Raimi it was like in those set pieces. Um, And as like a, unfortunately, an MCU completist, like at this point, it's like, well, I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. So, you know, what leg do I have to stand on? Um,
0: I have never seen a single episode of Grey's Anatomy. Nor have I. And I live in
2: Seattle where supposedly it takes place.
0: So I haven't seen the Spider-Man movie that came out before Doctor Strange, which I think was originally supposed to be flipped. But okay. I went to go watch that on Disney Plus, and it is a Sony property, so it is not available on Disney Plus, and it's not streaming yet, and I think it's going to be streaming on Stars. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not watching this fucking movie. Uh,
2: I saw that, and I, I have to say, I, I did not see this thing that you are talking about, that Doctor Strange thing. Doctor Strange. Um, I will say this, that is probably the most scathing thing I can say about the Marvel movies, they're fine. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, they're fucking military propaganda. They're all they're, fine.
2: They're but, fine. But, they're not. But I do.
0: They're not like people are like. You got to see this one. You got to. I'm like, it's fine. What Some Marvel of them are has done. Fine. What Marvel has done that's smart though is that they bring in different directors and give them a little bit of creative freedom mm. so that you can so that like so they feel distinctly different. So like mm-hmm. Thor um, by. um Time. Kenneth Branagh mm, yeah. Bra- yeah, directed that one. is very Shakespearean because that's his background, which yeah. I really liked. I liked um, the Thor movies. Thor 3, yeah. um, Ragnarok was Taika Waititi. Which and it, was one of the I best I didn't ones. like it. Oh, I love that one. I oh, didn't like it, but it, it has a different feel, right? And then yeah. the Guardians of the Galaxy ones have a different feel. So there's yeah. like, I feel like, I'm so fine with people being like, fuck Marvel. I want nothing to do with it. But I also feel like I want to give a little tiny bit of space to the fact that, like, there are distinct directing styles um, in some of these movies that I think is really, can be interesting. Well, mm-hmm. And I think that, like, the Thor, like, I bet you Love and Thunder is going to do huge numbers. Um, I think the ta- Taika Waititi uh, Thor gets a lot more credit than... Um, Um, then the guardians of the galaxy by James Gunn. James Gunn, Thank you. Um, partly because Thor didn't start is that character in that world. So it was really cool to see the transformation and the humor brought in. Mm -hmm. Whereas guardians of the galaxy, like is so aesthetic in a way that is really cool and like really consistent and like musical and visual, but it was always that way. So I think Mm -hmm. there's a taken for grantedness of that a little bit. Um, but I think we all. I think that we all. I think a lot of people just have fatigue, right? Like yeah. it's like, oh, another one of these. What you know? Who's the weird random character you're going to pluck out of nowhere that like you're going to try and make a thing out of? The internet and, like, has it's called just,
1: them blorcos. <laughs>
0: yes, they have called them blorcos. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> where like where you, there's the like the credit sequence. Uh, the post credit sequence where it's like I'm Blorco, whatever that tweet was at the that, and you're like, who the fuck are you, and why should I care? <laughs> you see, in my
1: day, it was Figwit, who was played by Brett McKenzie in the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and he showed up in the background of one scene and was hot, and the internet called him Figwit because in the middle of the scene, you're going, wow, Frodo is gray. Who is that? Which is Figwit. Um, <laughs> I'll say this like as. <sighs> as a, like I said, an MCU completist in a way that I never thought I really would be. Um, First of all, I would love to see a Wong series where he trains America Chavez and Ned, which Ned, that shows up in the Spider-Man movie, to, like, become wizards. I think that would be really fun. That would be cool. Would watch. But also, like, what this... What Kevin Feige has done with these movies is replicate the comic book experience, and that's something that, like... I think is really impressive even as an outsider like I Mm. would only read comics if my sister like gave me one that she thought I would like because she was reading all of them but that you'd have like this character when drawn by this artist or when written by this writer kind of takes that takes on these creative decisions and when the comic book you know companies would hire someone else to take it in a different direction what stayed and what didn't stay and now that's in conversation with these movies like Nick Fury was white in the comics and then now he's not he's black because Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury to so many so there's like something really interesting to me about the serialization of these movies and how um, they don't have to all be the same type of thing just like comics aren't always the same type of thing even if they use the same types of or the same exact characters um, but because I have a microphone in front of me I want to tell you my least favorite line in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that I have been stewing about which is when he, Doctor Strange goes to whatever fucking universe he doesn't go to enough universes in this movie but he goes to one of them and his like uh, what's her name, his girlfriend, Christine the Christine in that universe is like so where did you and I leave off in your universe and he says <laughs> We hadn't really figured that out yet. Yes, you did. She got married. She, it, it's figured out. She got married and said, I don't want to be with you. I'm going to get married to this guy. And you were sad about it. So we hadn't really figured it out yet. You're wrong. And you should stop. And Doctor Strange sucks. But the movie, as a Sam Raimi yeah. fan, is fun.
0: Yeah. And also, that's the other, like, gender part of this, too, where you're like, okay, so it's the fucking, wow, my kids trope and uh yeah, the, my i'm obsessed with my ex-wife yeah <laughs> <laughs> and his ha- his fucking white hair streaks Oof, Those okay, wigs are
2: bad
0: enough dr strange talk
2: <laughs> well so he's he's in the terrible well he's he is not a good part of the third spider-man um which was not great but andrew garfield is in it and he is delightful in it so i will say watch it for that but i i think benedict cumberbatch had a foot out the door (laughs) honestly i think he was like i'm contractually obligated to finish this but i am class don't they all feel that way after a while literally all of
0: them are just like i'm done why did i ever do this and now every actor like if you don't get a marvel gig you're not like important
2: I feel like some of them commit more to the part. Like, some of them really leave nothing. Like, they're like, this is what I'm doing, and I am doing it. Like, I understand the task given to me, and some of them think it's beneath them. And I don't know which ones are which because, again, bleh, meh, and I don't want – I refuse to care that much about Marvel. I refuse.
1: You just want to get sucked into a video game where – It doesn't exist. Just take me. I want to get sucked into Pong. Into Pong. Well, that is our show for today. Thank you, Geraldine, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Where can people learn more about you?
2: Um, You can find me on my blog. It's www.everywhereist.com. That's also my Twitter handle. It's at everywhereist where I'm usually getting blocked or blocking people or yelling at people or getting mad about the state of the world and uh yeah i have one book out i'm supposed to be finishing in another one by the end of the year but that won't be out for a while so i don't know follow me on twitter send me hate mail do whatever
1: i'm around no don't don't send me that i don't don't actually
2: (laughs) i don't actually want hate mail
0: but yeah yeah,
2: do send me do send me nice emails
0: i love those amazing well I'm Anita Sarkeesian, you probably already know that, and you probably already know that you can find
1: me at Anita Sarkeesian on all the things. I'm Kat Spada, and I am a mystery to all who perceive me, but you can find me at cat underscore EX underscore Machina on Twitter, and please follow Feminist Frequency at Femfreak on all the socials, that's Freak with a Q.
0: If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. And also, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our
1: guest, Geraldine DeRoyder. If you like our show, help other people find it. Subscribe, rate, and comment on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks,
0: Thanks so much, much for, for listening. listening. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.